And finally, our sermon passage this morning is going to be from Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, through chapter 6, verse 5. Galatians 5, 25 through 6, 5. Uh, and you can find that in the hardback pew Bible in front of you. Uh, real quick, if you don't have a Bible at home, who would love for you to take that home uh, as a gift to you? If you need one, you're more than welcome to take that. Um, but today, Pastor Kevin Larson is going to be preaching to us. So if you'll turn in your Bibles with me to Galatians 5 and stand. Uh, I'll read the passage, and I'll follow along, and then I'll pray and invite Pastor Kevin up. So Galatians 5, starting in verse 25. And I'm reading from the ESV. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for your word this morning. Uh, praise you for who you are and, and how generous you are towards us. Uh, God, use this scripture um, to transform us, to bless us this morning. Uh, would we be a, con a congregation? oriented towards loving one another? Would we use our gifts to uh, glorify you for the good of our church family? Would we bear the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of um, keeping with repentance? God, I pray for Pastor Kevin this morning, that you would fill him with your Spirit, that you would work through his words and all the, the effort he's put into um, this message this morning. God, most of all, we thank you for Jesus and everything he's done for us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, our, our favorite preacher with the man bun right here, um, he um, bled over into today's passage accidentally last week, so we're going to overlap a little bit. I don't think that'll cause anyone any permanent spiritual damage or anything to have two you know, slightly different takes on a passage. Um, we're talking in part today on humility, if anyone was at the, the football game yesterday. It's kind of an apt topic to discuss. But I'm also a um, proud subscriber of the Columbia Daily Tribune. I don't know if I have any amens out there. But yeah, we have two Chorus brothers who happen to be editors. But I, I do think reading our town's newspaper is a critical part of, of being good citizens and being good missionaries. But there was this interview this past week with the programmer of the Ragtag Cinema. And that man named Ted Rogers and the writer James Owen had this conversation and they asked the, the programmer, Ted, this question, how is the ragtag doing? And Rogers responded, we're in recovery mode. Last year, at this time, we were in survival mode. Now I've been thinking about that statement and I think it applies to most of us here, this we're in recovery mode. If we're honest, I think if we look inside of us, if we look around us, there's kind of a deep soul sickness that's come about as a result of the, the last couple of years. And here's a question I think we need to think about um, today and just ongoing together. Uh, what do we really need as God's people? What do we need to do about this? 
how will we seek to recover? How can we get back on our feet and begin to flourish once again? We've been going through the book of Galatians together as a church family. Soon we'll, we'll jump into the book of Matthew. I'm excited for that. But we've been talking um, for some time about the Holy Spirit. And I just want you to hear, friends, brothers and sisters, that He is what we so desperately need. We need the Spirit of God and what He produces. We need the breath of God, His air inside of us. We need Him in our lungs. We need Him in our hearts. He is what we need. And yes, that will rejuvenate us. It'll, it'll give us some wind in our sails. We need that. But more than that, He'll keep us alive. He'll sustain us. But how can that come about? What's the vehicle? What's the, the ventilator, if you will, that can get the Spirit inside us and, and nurse us back to health? I think we see here a vision in Galatians 5.25 through 6.5 that we just read of exactly what we need. Now here's what I want to try to accomplish in our time here this morning. We'll look at two glimpses of what God wants to see in us, things that are truly good for us. I'll zoom in for a minute on one of those, and then I'll zoom back out and talk about why I think it all matters so much. Here's the first part of the vision that I want you to see. We see a picture of what maturity looks like, or to be more clear, what it doesn't look like. Think about the, the type of people that we tend to gather around today. The loudest, the brashest, the angriest, the most controversial, the most confident. Those types of people tend to be the influencers in today's world. And we end up acting like them so much of the time. That the Spirit of God leads us to a different vision of maturity, to the opposite of what we see in verse 26, where Paul the Apostle writes this, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now the word conceited there is interesting. Yeah, it's talking about pride, conceit, yeah, that's why it's translated that way. But if you look at the old King James Version, it translates the verse this way. Let us not be desirous of vain glory. That's how it takes that word conceited. Vain glory. It has within it this pursuit of glory for ourselves that's endless and pointless. It's vain. It isn't just pride. It's, it's empty pride. And friends, we'll never, ever find glory for ourselves that was meant for the Lord alone. Now that pursuit of this vain glory has effects that we see also in this verse. It leads to provoking one another and envying one another. And they're not as different as maybe they sound. But picture with me uh, a high school cafeteria. I've got teenagers. I, I still think of that. At one table you have the bullies. They're, they're looking around the tables. They're trying to find someone to pick on to demonstrate who's below them to prove where they stand. At the other table, you have people like me as a teenager, the nerds, the outcasts. You know, they're, they're gazing around the room. They're wishing that they can measure up. They're thinking about who is above them. So one group is provoking. The other is envying. But both groups are deeply insecure, right? They're focused on themselves. This is what the Holy Spirit of God moves us away from. On this path toward maturity, what does the Spirit produce? The opposite again, humility. Where we're not seeking after our own glory. We're not picking fights to prove it or pouting, wish we had more of it. In fact, we're thinking of ourselves less and others more. 
And that leads to the second thing that Paul is saying here. Here's the second part of the vision I want you to see. We see a picture of what community looks like. Think about who we tend to gather together with today. We can talk a lot about community in our culture, but what it most often looks like is hanging out with people that we like, that look like us, with people that we think have something to give to us. Really, it's like those clubs that we joined at school. We come together with people who have the same interests or hobbies or causes. And if we stop seeing the benefit in it all, or if that group ends up asking too much of us, we're out. We're gone. But the spirit of Jesus leads to a dramatically different picture of community, to the type of family that we see in chapter 6, verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. This isn't complicated. We all have burdens we're carrying, and we are not meant to carry them alone. Your burdens are mine. My burdens are yours. We're meant to be helped by one another. We're meant to help those around us. So what the Holy Spirit produces is a sense of responsibility for those around us in the family of God. Romans 15, or 12, 15 puts it this way. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep. We identify with our family so closely that we feel what they feel. But we also follow through with our actions. Their problems are our problems. We try to solve them however we can. But if we can't, if these are just things that just have to be carried or endured, we commit that we're going to bear the weight of those together. Now, there's so many examples of this that take place in cars every week. But I've never felt this as much as I have over the last couple of years during my wife's cancer treatment. All the meals, I'm still trying to get the weight off from those meals now. It's not working well either, but still working on that. All the notes of encouragement, all the prayers that we could feel. Dr. Anna joining us in the appointments, being there with us. We did not feel like we were carrying this heavy burden alone. And it was, it was beautiful. Paul's vision here again is responsibility for one another. For carrying those things together. That's biblical community. And think about this. That flows out of the humility that I just talked about. Why is that? Well, for humble. For humble people, we know reality that we're always in need of help. And also, if we're humble, we know we're never above helping another brother and sister out. Only in people of true, deep humility, mature people see their responsibility for the people around them and understand that they need people who are responsible for them. It's the immature, it's the foolish, the stubborn who think they're above this. Isn't that what Paul's saying in verse 3? For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. It's deception that moves us to this independent spirit. We're dependent beings. We're dependent upon God. We're dependent upon one another. Now, I can't spend a ton of time on this passage, this, these, these two verses, verses 4 and 5, but they're, they're kind of puzzling on the surface, but I don't think they're really that hard. Verses 4 and 5. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. You first read that. What? How does that fit with what we just read? 
But here's what I think the Spirit is saying through Paul. We could take this idea of corporate responsibility too far and not take responsibility for ourselves at all. He's making a qualification of what he said before. Tom Schreiner, um, writer, one of my mentors, he points out that for us as Americans, we're so individualistic that we need to be reminded of this corporate responsibility that we have. But for some cultures, and, and Eastern culture would be one, Asian cultures, they need to be reminded that they're accountable for themselves because their default is toward the, the community. Paul here seems to be saying at the judgment day, we're still all going to stand before God as individual men and women. We bear responsibility for ourselves. So the point is we can't just let ourselves go, give ourselves to laziness and foolishness, and then just constantly expect our brothers and sisters to bail us out, especially if we ourselves want to be faithful here and contribute to our church community. But don't let that qualification making this the bigger point. And he's saying that we are responsible for one another because we're family. Now, as I said, I want to zoom in to one aspect of how we bear each other's burdens. I want us to dig into verse 1 for a minute. It seems to me that verse 1 serves as an example of verse 2. One way that we bear the burdens of our brothers and sisters is helping them when they get stuck in sin. Verse 1. Now, when we hear about verse 2, bear each other's burdens, our minds, at least mine does, goes immediately to the sufferings of our family members, right? When a, when a sister can't make ends meet and needs food, that's my responsibility. That's your responsibility. When a brother is down and depressed and can't see light, that's our burden and not just his. But what about when a brother or sister sins when they're struggling in that way? Our culture, what, what does our culture say? That's not our business, right? We tend to resist when people question what we do, where we're at. But God so clearly says here that that's our responsibility also. Hear it again. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Now, don't skip over, don't fly over that word brothers there. And again, that includes sisters. So if I say in Spanish, hermanos, you know, that includes the hermanas. It's a way to address people in, in the plural. The point there that Paul makes over and over in the New Testament is that we're family. And family has to handle suffering together, but they also have to attack sin together. We've, we're given instructions if a sibling is caught in any transgression. Now, let, let me just say that this doesn't mean that we're, we're always on the lookout trying to catch someone and help people in their sin. We talked about this a few weeks ago. 1 Peter 4, love covers a multitude of sins. Bearing with one another very often means that we're overlooking things that are maybe annoyances or aren't, aren't that big of a deal. Because who wants to live in a family where everyone is a referee or a cop, right? Ready to blow the whistle or slap you in the cuffs? That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about someone who gets caught, who gets stuck, who gets trapped in a pattern of sin. God says here we are supposed to step in and help. 
Now again, people today would say that's out of bounds, that that deserves a whistle, that that's judgmental, and that doesn't fit with love, but that could not be more wrong, church. Think about this, your parent and your child is playing in the middle of the freeway, or you're a sibling and your brother or sister has been making a bad choice of some kind, Maybe they're taking a lot of painkillers, or maybe they're dating someone unhealthy. Are you going to do something? Of course you are, because it's your responsibility. You know that. That's what family does, and your responsibility is to love them. Here Paul says you should restore that person. He uses a word that was often used of mending fishing nets or rebuilding broken walls or resetting broken bones. Restore. You're helping restore someone to spiritual health. And yeah, as with the broken bone, it can be hard. It can be painful. But it's what's needed. It's what's good for the person. You're not trying to hurt them. You're trying to help them. Sometimes, as Matthew 18 teaches, you may even have to get others involved in that. But this is where it starts, approaching a brother or sister who is caught in sin in love. But it requires a lot of, of wisdom. I was listening to a, a podcast this week with a pastor named Michael Lawrence. And he, he was talking about three different angles or three different types of sin. I don't think I've thought about it exactly this way. Um, he said that there's, there's weakness, where it's more of a, an issue of immaturity, more growth is needed. There, there's woundedness, where people are, are really responding, they're living out of the hurt that they've received. And then he says, yes, there's wickedness, all-out wickedness, when the problem is just rebellion. Now, all three of those things, yeah, they can be sin, but you cannot, you do not respond to each in the same way. It takes a lot of, of wisdom. We just can't look at it as like somebody's sitting, I press button A, and I fix it. That's just not the way it works. It's more complicated than that. Now, I didn't forget the word spiritual in verse 1. And you can throw the, the passage back up there if you, you don't mind. Um, spiritual in verse 1. Some scholars say that this speaks mainly to Christians who are mature. Kind of the way that we think of, you know, they're spiritual. Those are the ones who are qualified to sin. But I'm, I'm with those that think this is referring really to everyone. Because in context, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, what Paul says. We all have the Spirit if we're Christians. We're all spiritual. Right? And so, we should all grow in humility and love so that we can restore each other well. You can't wait until you're really mature to help someone out. But you should aspire to become more mature so that you can help people out well. But we're all called to this. We're all spiritual in that sense. Notice the manner in which we're to assist our brothers and sisters. We're to restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Don't forget, gentleness is listed in chapter 5 as one of the fruits of the Spirit. Many of us have been reading the, the book Gentle and Lowly together. Grab a copy. I think there's still some left. But that's, the title comes from the fact that that's how Jesus describes himself in Matthew 11, 29, he says, I'm gentle and lowly in heart. That's who our Lord is. That's what His Spirit produces in us. Lowly, lowliness, that's humility and gentleness. We're to come to people as He does, kindly and tenderly. Often we can act like 
All sin is a nail, and we have to bring the hammer. But that's not the way of those who are trying to look like Jesus. This week I started reading Ray Orland's book, The Death of Porn. And I think every Christian should read it. Male, female, whether or not that's an issue of yours right now or not. It's just good, so good. And you may ask, why do I keep quoting Ray Orland all the time? Well, he's about 20 years older than me, and I think in 20 years I want to look more like him, so I'm just soaking up whatever he does. It's, it's great. But anyway, he's trying to help Christians get out of the grip of pornography, so people that are caught in that sin. And he starts out this way, which I think is different than anything we've probably read on this. He starts out by saying, Christian, you are royalty. Royalty. Huh. Well, he talks about how we're, we're made in the image of God, that we've been called like Adam to rule over his creation. So there's this real way that Adam was made in God's image and called to be a king over the earth. And he's saying so tenderly, he's saying, Christian, you're above that. You're a king. You're a queen. You were made for something so much better than that. Well, Ray also says, because he's you know, theologically sharp. Um, he says, but we're not just royal. The Bible says well, we are also are evil. The fall did happen. The image of God in us is now marred. But Jesus is about restoring that image in us if we're believers. So he, he says we're both. We're royal. We're evil. But where he puts the emphasis and his starting place is so instructive. It shows so much wisdom for us to be kindly draw each other to repentance. It's probably not the most effective thing to just walk up to your brother or sister and say, wow, you're terrible, you're evil, repent now. Now, Jesus, you might argue, some of you might say, well, isn't that how Jesus handled the Pharisees? Well, yeah, along those lines, but an extremely proud person might need something more along that, but, but generally speaking, and certainly with the weak, Jesus took the opposite approach, and he treated, he made paupers feel like kings, like they were royalty, and maybe we should as well. We're not beating people up for what they're not. We're reminding them of who they are in Christ, right? Well, again, thinking about how important humility is. Not thinking too much about ourselves. Remember verse 26, where Paul speaks about provoking and envying. Think about this. If we're trying to prove ourselves, if we tend toward the provoking side, thinking we're superior, we're not going to be very gentle, are we? We'll probably be fairly harsh. If we tend toward the envying side, thinking we're inferior, our concern with self will probably keep us from saying anything at all because we're so enslaved by our desire for approval. The same, of course, goes in the other direction. If we're the one being approached, well, some of us will be very tempted to fight back. Others, maybe a little bit more to just cower in embarrassment, maybe to just disappear. <clears throat> but the Lord wants us to be humble and to receive, to receive this love, this gift of grace through our brothers and sisters of them gently calling us out and trying to help us get free. Notice, though, there's another way we have to be humble. Keep watch on yourself lest you also be tempted. So I think surely Jesus is warning us of pride here as we go to people. We have to stay humble as we approach family. But we also just might get caught up in the same sin ourselves. 
or another sin entirely. Satan is crafty. This whole passage just reminds us of our danger, of his schemes, about how he wants to take everyone out, how he wants to entrap us all, even the one who may temporarily feel in a strong enough position to help out a weaker brother or sister. So we have to stay humble, God says here, or you and I just might be next. So I want to zoom back out, but think about this first. No matter what our world might say, if a fellow Christian is caught in sin, it's your business. Not only do you care about him or her, or you should, and you need to help them no matter how hard it is, and it very well could be, you also know that sin ends up affecting all of us. It does. It hurts the body. So we seek to do what Paul says here. And let me also say, this is why church membership is so important. Because you're giving people permission to love you in this way. You're saying, do this for me. And then you're giving them the opportunity to love you. And as we do, we have the opportunity to image our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where I want to go next. So we've seen this, this picture of maturity, which is humility. This picture of community, which is responsibility, even so far as helping brothers and sisters in sin. But I just want to call you to see something bigger that I think is going on. We, we really see this picture of just what Christianity is like. I think there's a lot of confusion today on what Christianity is, on what a Christian looks like. And I think this passage can help us think through that together. It'll take me a little bit to get there. But what Christianity is. First, think about who Jesus is and what he's done. He, again, is the gentle and lowly one who doesn't think about himself. He thinks about others. He's the most mature man in the universe, and he's full of humility. He takes responsibility for others. He pours himself out. He gives up his life for the family of God, for the world. That is who Jesus is. It's what he's done. Second, though, think about who we are now and what difference that makes. He makes us deeply humble people. Because we know we're sinners and that we're only here in this family by grace. We know we have nothing to boast about. We only boast in Him. Because of Him, we know that we're in constant need of help. It also means that we're ready to help. We see ourselves as responsible for others. We love. We give of ourselves to our brothers and sisters, to our neighbors as well. And this is all flows out of His love for us. His love for us. We know, if we know the gospel, that we've been deeply accepted. And for that reason, we can have a, an appropriate, humble kind of confidence. And we're not as insecure. We no longer have anything to prove. We no longer need to use those around us to make ourselves feel good. We want to give of ourselves as Christ has for us, seeking their good. So here's what I want you to hear. As we live in these ways, as we show humility, as we take responsibility, we get to show to those around us and to each other what Jesus has done. We image who he is to those around us. I skipped over a phrase in verse 2. You may have noticed. As we bear one another's burdens, 
God's word says that we fulfill the law of Christ. We fulfill the law of Christ. So you may remember from our passage a couple of weeks ago, in chapter 5, verse 14, where we're told, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I said then, as we love, we keep the whole point of the Old Testament law. We keep the law of love. We fulfill what Paul talks about in chapter 6, this law of Christ. And here I think is the point. As we love, as we humbly bear each other's burdens, we look like Jesus and we show who he is to those around us. We image him. I've been talking about this book to Jay Kerb a lot, and I, I talked about it three or four weeks ago, and I said I would kind of clear things up a little bit and get back to it. But we unfortunately don't have illustrations in the Bible, you know. I sometimes wish we did. Maybe your, your kid's Bible does. But nonetheless, we have this idea of the cross that's huge, and then we, we've kind of adopted that as a symbol, right? Well, Miller argues that we need another symbol, what he calls the, the J curve. What's that? Well, the cross, first of all, we rely on the work of Jesus. That's what the cross, of course, is a picture of, what it reminds us of, of what Jesus has done for us, dying for us, forgiving us. So the work of Jesus, but we also must walk in the way of Jesus. And that's what the J illustrates that Miller argues there. Dying with Jesus, dying with Jesus, and rising with him. From the day of our baptism, when we give our life to Jesus, and every day following until we go home with Him, we humble ourselves, we die daily, we give ourselves to others, we carry their burdens. We do that confident, though, that we will be restored, resurrected, so that we can do it again the next day, and then finally resurrected, restored in the new heavens and the new earth. So don't misunderstand me here. Christ is first and foremost our Savior. We mess this up terribly. We harm our souls if we don't have that as the foundation. Through the cross, He's our Savior. But then He becomes our example, and that's the J. We rely on the work of Christ. We then walk in the way of Christ. Only the Spirit of Jesus makes us this mature community that images the person of Christ. He makes us gentle, lowly, sacrificial, loving people. Well, family, go back to where I started. Here's what we need. A mature community that images Jesus. Known for having a deeply humble posture. Famous for taking responsibility for those around us. I first want to say that's what we need. Think about that. Think about how much we need a place where we can let our hair down, so to speak. Right? Let our hair down and rejoice. And we need a place where we can take our masks off and just be ourselves. Where we can relax, where we can feel like we don't have to perform all the time, where we know that we'll be loved for who we are. But we also need a place where we can bring our burdens and, and not be judged, but helped. That is how we'll get better. That's how we'll recover among the people of God living out these truths. But how will we get there? Well, I want to go back to another verse that I kind of glossed over. We need His Spirit, right? So we believe here in Karis that God is sovereign, but we're also responsible, 
already said that today, but we're also responsible. But look back at the first verse again, verse 25 of chapter 5. Paul writes, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit. He's talking about our salvation there. If we're Christians, if we're disciples, the Holy Spirit of God has raised us from death to life. His breath has gotten in our lungs, and we have a pulse again. Okay? If we live by the Spirit. But then he says, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If that's the case, that if we've been resurrected by the Spirit, we now need to live in a way that fits with who He is and where He is leading. So, keep in step. So picture, if you were in a marching band like me, following the, the drum major, kind of trying to keep in step. Or dancing, keeping in time with those around you. You know, the musicians up here trying to stay on beat, trying to stay together. We're to move with the pulse of the Spirit of God. And as we've seen, that, that moves us away from pride to humility. It moves us away from prideful isolation to carrying the burdens of those around us. Again, as we trust in the cross that's given us life by the Spirit, we keep in step by the Spirit, and that leads to us doing that cycle of dying and rising, dying and rising, day after day. So I want to ask you, are you in step with the Spirit right now? As you post on social media, as you interact with that brother or sister that you don't agree with, when someone confronts you for being out of line, when you see someone around you in need, or when you find yourself in need, uh, when you find that you're in need of something yourself, are you in sync with the Spirit who lives inside of you? If you are, if we are, it will lead to a community that is good for us, to a place where we can recover and where we can continue to grow in His grace. It is what we need as disciples of Christ. But let me also say it's what they need, meaning the people who don't know Christ. My wife has been working in a shift a week back in the hospital again. She's actually working in the COVID unit, and it's been really hard. She enjoys it a lot. She's really good at what she does, but more than just serving her patients, she's been serving her co-workers as well, and she's just had the opportunity to share the gospel time and time again. A couple weeks ago, she was sitting in the nursing station um, just sharing with these weary, weary doctors and nurses that what they heard kind of coming out of professing Christians over the last couple of years really didn't represent the Bible that well. No Christian should be conceited. Christians should seek to bear the burdens of others. And we should seek to look like Jesus. We should seek to image him. That's what those who don't know Christ need to, be, need to hear. They need to hear the gospel. They need to hear who Jesus is and how he works. But there's something else that I think they need even more. What I think they need first and foremost is to see those things alive among us. Are we humble toward one another? Are we walking in unity? Are we bearing each other's burdens? Are we seeing each other in this family as our personal responsibility? Amidst all the insanity and all the division around us, do they see us as a place of maturity? Do they see us as a place of genuine community or more like that crazy high school lunchroom? 
Do they see the church of Jesus Christ as a display of the glory of God, of the fruit of the work of the gospel? Do they see us as a different kind of family? Do they see us as something compelling, something beautiful that they just need to be a part of? That is first and foremost what they need. We want to speed past that to talk about our mission to the world, and that's so important. But what about our family right, right here and now? And, and what about how God uses it to speak to the power of the gospel? Is it showing that? Are we imaging Jesus Christ here together? Carlos, we need the Spirit of God living and active among us, producing the kind of mature community that we see here. But those who don't know Christ need to see that just as much. We have this opportunity with the Spirit's help to show those around us a vision of the Christian life, of the church and what it really is, and what Christianity is itself in how we relate and care for one another. Only the Spirit of Jesus makes us a mature community that images the person of Christ. May God's Spirit help us live this out together. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for life in Christ by your spirit. We're, we're so grateful, Lord, that um, you sent Jesus to die for us, but we now um, have your spirit um, indwelling us and remaking us and strengthening us. And we just ask, Lord, that um, by your grace, for your glory, that you would continue to shape us into a family a true family that really loves each other well in all the hard things, all the ups and downs, through all the hurts, and, and just make us, Lord, first and foremost, just deeply humble people. It just seems, Lord, like conceit and arrogance is just um, championed today. Um, I know it has so much throughout history, um, but... Make us distinct, make us different, I pray, Lord, in Christ's name, amen.